The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. I think it would be a great idea if you could uh, grab a Bible, um, if you're at home, I'm sure most of you are, unless you're out somewhere, anyway. Just grab a Bible, you might be using a phone or you might have a paper one, and while you're just uh, taking the opportunity to do that, I thought I might just give you a bit of an update on um, what's happened after May Mission Month. You might remember it's our key fundraising time. Well, this year was great. May Mission Month saw uh, people give about $7,500 during the month of May. And we've been able to uh, sort of round it off to $10,000 and, and send $5,000 each to the two projects that we were supporting. So a wonderful thing from North Pine Baptist Church that we've been able to uh, contribute uh, $10,000 to the work of mission in Thailand. It's a wonderful thing. Well, I'm sure you probably have your Bible there by now, and you should be opened up to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, we're going to read that in a moment, but before we do that, before we do that, I'm just wondering what your normal routine might be of a Sunday morning. For me, you know, I sort of roll out of bed, I, I sleep in yeah, half an hour, an hour later than I used to when I was coming here of a Sunday morning. Uh, do the usual things you need to do, you like you know, wash and shave and that sort of stuff. Get my breakfast ready and you know, about five to nine, turn the computer on and then um, get ready for the service to start as I watch the, the clock tick down. And I think what a great thing this technology is, that during these COVID-19 restrictions, we're still able to access something. It's a wonderful thing, and I'm always grateful for the folks who are putting all this together. It's a great thing. And then as I sit and I watch, I watch the little number up in the, in the top left-hand corner to see how many other computers are on, and I sit there and I go, okay, it's reached 80, 81, 82, and I'm a bit distracted by the number, 83. And prior to the school holidays, it used to crack 100 during the school holidays, which used to go out mid-80s. And then I sort of, you know, and then you see people turn off. You think, oh, what's going on there? wonder what people are doing, sitting there with their remotes or their maps and wiggling around and switching channels or something of that sort. And I sort of think maybe the risk we run with all of this is that we treat our gathering together as something akin to entertainment. Just like uh, when we watch TV, we get a remote and we switch channels if we're a little bit bored or we want some other new stimulus. Maybe this has become a bit like that. And so I guess my, I'm a big concern, I reflect upon this myself, that it's just so easy. I can get up late. I can sit and watch it as I'm watching a, a piece of entertainment on TV. It's become for me, perhaps, something I consume, a bit like a product. And I think, this is just not quite right. There's something wrong with the way that I'm approaching this. But I'm actually am part of North Pine Baptist Church, and this is my time to gather with the people with whom I normally gather. And you know, often after um, the North Pine service is finished, I, I switch over to another service, usually one that um, either a relative in Sydney might be uh, speaking at or one that my kids go to. They just see what's going on there. So I get very religious on a Sunday morning, watching at least a couple of services. But I still wonder at my attitude, am I just becoming a consumer? And that's something that I think uh, this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 speaks into. So let's turn to that, 
Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read the first 16 verses. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one, with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, and just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gives gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's just pray for a moment as we uh, have a look at some aspects of this passage. Father, we do give you uh, thanks that we're able to have the opportunity to meet together in this way, and we pray that as we look into Ephesians chapter 4, that you might just guide our thinking, that you might impress upon us the uh, important things that it has to say to us, and we ask that we might put those into action. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. As you may be aware, uh, chapter 4 is the halfway point in this letter, you know, six chapters. Chapters 1 to 3 are predominantly teaching. Chapters 4 to 6 are mostly devoted to addressing the implications of that teaching in lived experience. And you may have noticed as we read the passage that it begins with the word therefore. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to assume that there's something that has gone before upon which what is to come after is based. So what's gone before? Well, just a quick reminder, just a really brief recap of some of the things that we've discovered already in chapters 1 to 3. Firstly, as Christians, we're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We find we're chosen before the foundation of the world. We're predestined for adoption as God's children. We're redeemed for the shedding of Jesus' blood. We have uh, a promised inheritance guaranteed by the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been saved by grace. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have become citizens of God's kingdom. And we join with believing Jews in becoming members of the same body, partakers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We've also come to realize that everything is to the praise of His glory. 
and that God's ultimate purpose, in a sense, probably the theme verse of this whole book, in, is in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, is this, that God's ultimate purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, is to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So our being in Christ is a, is a fundamental part of God's overall purpose to unite all things in him, both things in heaven and things on earth. And Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 3 is that we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What an astounding paradox that we can know something that surpasses knowledge. And also that God is to be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Now, if that's the case, that it's for all generations, forever and ever, then surely, even though Paul has written his letter initially to the Ephesian Christians, he must also be writing to us. Because we are those generations. We are the subsequent generations of God's people. That means Paul is writing this letter to us here at North Pine Baptist Church. Now, as we delve into the passage itself, uh, no doubt you'll have noticed as we read through it, it's rather lengthy. There's a lot of stuff in it. And so some of what I'll say is going to be very, very brief. It's going to skim across the surface. And I'm going to try to elaborate on a few, um, few matters. So excuse me for leaving things out. Um, if I didn't, we'd be here for a very long time. And when you're watching stuff on the screen, it's hard to concentrate for a long time. So verse 1. Verse 1 really provides a topic sentence for this passage. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, the remainder of the letter, that's chapters you know, 4, 5, and 6, are really an elaboration of this particular verse. Paul's going to write about the quality and kind of life that's demanded uh, of all Christians, both individually and as members of Christ's church. It's a life lived in gratitude for all that Christ has done for us. And the 16 verses we're looking at today are the beginning of that elaboration. Now, I guess we could ask ourselves the question, how then do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called? Well, I think it begins with character. Verse 2 tells us to be like the one whom we follow. It says that we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called with all humility, and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. In fact, chapter 5, verse 1 states this principle plainly. It says that, therefore, the imitators of God as beloved children. Now, the virtues listed in verse 2 of chapter 4 are incredibly radical, although to us in the 21st century they don't seem so, for we're accustomed to these kinds of things being seen as positive traits, but not so for the people of the ancient world. For them, those kinds of things were the traits of a slave. That was something to be shunned, not something to be imitated. But these virtues were the virtues that Christ exhibited. Now, Jesus was humble or lowly. He came to serve, not to be served. And in taking on humanity, the God of the universe took on the form of a servant 
He died a criminal's death, even as it says in Philippians 2, he died the death on a cross. Jesus was gentle or meek. And meek is a kind of controlled strength. A Bible commentator by the C.L. Mitten uh, has written that the meek person is the one who is so committed to a goal that he refuses to be deflected by its slights, or sorry, refuses to, refuses to be deflected from it by slights, injuries, insults directed at himself personally or indeed by personal considerations of any kind. Surely this is the character of Jesus as he headed towards the cross. And Jesus was patient. And this word is used to refer to a kind of steadfast endurance in the face of suffering and misfortune. Jesus portrayed forbearance, where it says in the passage here, bearing with one another in love, in that he suffered and he died for sinful humanity. He loved us, even though we are unworthy of that love. And as a consequence of these things, of these virtues, there comes a zeal. We are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as verse 3 declares. Although unity, we know, is given by the Spirit of God, we're called upon to play our part. It's part of our walk. And the only way we can possibly do that is by developing and living out the kind of other person-centeredness that is characteristic of Jesus' person and work. If we think that we come to church primarily to have our needs met, then we've missed the point. Let's look briefly then at verses 4 to 6, where we find that the source of our unity, this unity that we're called upon to help maintain, is in fact God himself. Let's read it together. Verses 4 to 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We find here a kind of a, a, a Trinitarian encouragement to be united. Just as God is a spirit and son and father, yet one, so three persons, one God, we too are diverse. We too join together one purpose. There is a unity in diversity. We find that we have the one spirit who gives us life and binds us together, who is in a sense the, the one who gives life to the church and to us individually. We have one hope, the hope of the resurrection of forgiveness of sins. We have one Lord, one who rules over us, Jesus Christ himself. We have one faith, we trust in the one Jesus. We have one baptism, that is one entry point into this uh, new life in Christ. We have one God and Father of all. We belong together into God, in God's family. And we submit to his rule. He is over all, through all, and in all. We're part of that purpose that he has for the universe that he has created and for us as his people. So the source of our unity is God himself. So we exhibit the characteristics of Christ. We imitate those. And we find that the source of our unity is God. In addition to that, we're also given gifts to help us walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called and to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, grace in this verse is used in reference not just to God's unmerited favor, but to the gifts he gives to the church to maintain and build up the body of Christ and to build up it in unity.
First, Paul makes specific mention of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Although many commentators think that the shepherd teacher is perhaps one, one person or one gift, a pastor teacher. Now, a lot could be said about these gifts, but I'm not going to do that. But I want to point out a couple of uh, small things that are of significance, I believe. It's important to note that, um, that each of these gifts is a word gift. That is to say, proclamation and teaching gift. And the people who proclaim the gospel and teach the word of God are, in fact, God's gift to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so, as always, a consequence of that, we then might, or perhaps we are really able to, attain the unity of the faith. See, unity can only be a reality when we have a common understanding of the personal work of Jesus. We can't possibly be united if we believe things about Jesus that are in any way contrary to the teaching that we find in the New Testament. We also attain the knowledge of the Son of God, or so to say the Son of Man, as it says in the passage. And this is not just a, a head knowledge, though it doesn't exclude that, it's a relational knowledge. As a guy named uh, Henry Blackaby wrote in his book, Experiencing God, he says, God created us for an eternal love relationship. Love is our opportunity to experience him at work in us and in our world. And the purpose of this is that we might grow to mature manhood, the measure of which is the fullness of Christ. That is, that we grow more and more like Christ. And to quote Blackaby again, God's ways are redemptive, loving, and compassionate. His ways bring cleansing and forgiveness and build people up. His ways bring humility. His way is the way of service and love. He desires to accomplish his own purposes through us in his own way. So the mature Christian seeks to live in the light of that kind of understanding. So if we're mature, well-grounded in the truth of the gospel, convinced of the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, both individually and as a church, we will be or will not be attracted to the latest fad, nor deceived by false doctrine. Move on to verses 15 and 16. And we're called upon to maintain the unity. This, this is our role. And we are able, as uh, individual Christians and as this church, to play our part. For we, too, are given gifts for the purpose of building up the body. So just as God has given us apostles and prophets and so on, he also gives each of us gifts that we might contribute to that maintenance, the maintenance of the, uh, the unity of the church. So let's read verses 15 and 16. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, we are the body of Christ. And as such, our whole capacity for growth and activity, as well as our direction as a united entity, derives from Him. Every part of our life as His body finds its object and goal in union with Him, under His Lordship. We have a part to play. It's not only the apostles, the prophets, and so on, that are God's gifts to the church. Verse 7 says that 
grace was given to each of us. It is when each part of the body is working properly that it grows and is built up in love. Each of us needs to speak the truth in love. Again, interestingly, in the uh, original Greek, the word speak does not even exist in this verse. Rather, the phrase is truthing in love. Truthing in love. It's more than speaking alone. It really means that we should maintain the truth, live the truth, do the truth. And we must do so in love, that is, with the interest of others in mind. So what part ought we play in helping the body grow and be built up in love? What might that look like for us right now? Well, the enforced break brought about by COVID-19 restrictions has given us the opportunity to get a glimpse of what we really think about our being part of the body of Christ. Have we actually missed gathering together to worship, to enjoy fellowship, to learn from God's word, to serve others? If so, then we will be grateful for the opportunity to gather again in person as that happens over the next uh, weeks or months. If not, then our return gives us a chance to reset. So God calls us to play our part in equipping our church to carry out God's purposes in the lives of individuals, in the community around us, in the wider world, and in the building up of the body in truth and love. We are the body of Christ. God calls us to be active members of that body here at North Pine, if this happens to be your home church. See, in being part of the body of Christ, we have the opportunity to invest in the lives of God's people, be part of what God is doing through his people. We're called to serve. Being part of Christ's body, his church, requires selflessness. It's a recognition that it's not about me. I'm not allowed to treat our worship services as a consumer might treat a piece of entertainment. Church is not a product. We are, in fact, the body of Christ. We are participants in it. We're part of it. Rather, church is always about honouring and glorifying Christ. It's always about loving and serving others. And God has, in fact, equipped us to do just that. And he calls upon us to use that with which he has equipped us to do the work that he has called us to do. He has given each of us gifts for the building up of his people. So maybe at this point we can just ask ourselves a few questions, especially as we start to think about our return to this building, which I'm standing right now, where we can bring in the first 105 people in the weeks ahead. How might I help build up God's people here at North Pine? What part do I or can I play? Now, I'm not thinking here of, of taking on a formal role. I'm not thinking somebody will suddenly become you know, the, the new Billy Graham or take up a role as a pastor or be trained as a missionary. Rather, I'm thinking of adopting an attitude, a mindset. Each week as we come together, maybe we could pray that God might show us a way that we might encourage someone. Or maybe he might be, we might be able to pray with someone. Maybe God wants us to be the solution to someone else's problem. Maybe he wants us to share in someone's joy. Maybe he wants us to offer a word of hope 
to someone in need. Maybe God wants us to come to church looking for what we, not for what we might get out of it, but instead looking for what we might give, how we might build up, ways that we might serve. Now, Galatians 6.10 is really instructive. In, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me conclude with the words of Henri Nguyen. He says this, Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I laugh? These are the real questions. Perhaps as we prepare to return to face-to-face gatherings, we would ask those questions of ourselves, for they surely are the real questions. Let's pray. Father, we thank for the opportunities we do have to meet online during this time, but we pray that we might uh, be careful not to treat church as a consumer product, as a, as a piece of entertainment. Father, we recognize that we are part of the body of Christ. And as such, when all is working together, we work together for the purpose of building one another up in love. Thank you that you have given us gifts. Thank you that you've given us a capacity to be part of that process. And we pray that we might, whether we're apart or whether we're together, recognize that we are one and act accordingly. Father, we pray that you might help us to imitate Christ, to take on his virtues, that we might recognize that our our life is one because you are one, that we have unity of purpose because you have granted us that. And we pray that we might use the gifts you have given us to achieve your purposes, your ends, to build up the body of Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.